Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We are concluding our study of this chapter. Romans chapter 10, we've been looking at the power of the gospel and the opportunities that we have that we would be sensitive to that. And considering this morning the final section of this chapter where Paul is really laying out his burden for his, his Jewish countrymen and the excuses that may come up. And I think some of these are very practical for us as well. It's on page 791 in the Bible there in the chair in front of you. And encourage you to have that ready. Several years ago, I heard a preacher make the comment that he would ask prospective church members to share the gospel with him in 60 seconds or less. His point was not to minimize gospel contact or give a simplistic presentation of the good news, but really to challenge people to be able to grasp the key concepts of that gospel message. And I thought that was an interesting statement. I mean, what would you think if this morning from my introduction, I said, instead of me sharing an introduction, we're going to take the next two minutes and I want you to turn the person next to you and you take one minute and share the gospel with them and then take the next minute and they share it with you. How do you think that would go? Now, we're not going to do that, so that's not where I'm going, but do you have the gospel clear in your mind? And do you think they would be able to, to really share it clearly with you? You know, last week we looked at the key areas of what a person needs to know to know the gospel, the, the, the kind of the outline I try to keep in my mind of, of who God is and what sin is and why that is serious. And we have to start with who God is if we're going to truly understand the seriousness of sin. And when we understand why sin is serious, then we can understand who Christ is and why he came. And that really being the focus of the Christmas time as we, we focus on the coming of Christ, the incarnation, that, that God in flesh. And then ultimately to know what faith is and to recognize those aspects. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is that you have a gospel opportunity to share that good news, and with that opportunity comes a responsibility. That this final section of this 10th chapter not only gives us the opportunity, but a responsibility that all of us have. And so I want us to see that as we consider uh, really verses 18 through the end of the chapter, but I want to start our reading this morning back in verse 16. In Romans chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 16 to get a little bit more of the context. Follow with me as I begin reading in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. 
But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that it would not be said of us what was said of Israel, of being disobedient and contrary. Lord, help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers. And to know the opportunities that are available to us to avail ourselves that we too would take the responsibility and opportunity of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ serious as we are in a lost world, that we would seriously consider that condition and apply it personally and share it publicly. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In these verses, I want us to see the gospel opportunity that all of us have and the responsibility that comes with that. We'll see this not only by the looking into the specifics, but even the general context of this passage. The first thing I want us to see from this passage, though, is that God's Word brings saving faith. We see that in verse 17. We considered this last week. So then faith comes by hearing and the Word of God. That God's Word is central in creating saving faith. That, that spiritual life comes to us by the Word. You know, back in Genesis chapter 1, we, we saw that God spoke the world into existence. That by God's Word, the world came. Well, redemption brings spiritual life, or redemption comes through the spiritual life by the Word of God. And we see that in many places, but one of the clearest is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and following. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, "...having been born again, not of corruptible or perishable seed, but of incorruptible, of imperishable, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever." Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you, that life comes by the word of God. And last week, we looked at the, the illustration in Ezekiel 37 of, of the valley of dry bones. And as, as Ezekiel is taken into this valley, he sees all these dry bones, and he's told to prophesy to the bones. And as he does, life comes. And the point of Ezekiel 37 verse 4 is hear the word of the Lord. That faith is central for salvation and the word is central for bringing that faith. So evangelism is not about human persuasion. It's not about clever devices. It's not about how well we can form the argument and, and pull people in. It's, it's giving the Word of God clearly and understandably that the Holy Spirit will make it understood. And the result is faith in a, is more than simply a decision or emotion. If, if all we focus on is faith in faith, then people are trusting an emotion, they're trusting an event, but they're not trusting the person and cross work of Jesus Christ. And salvation is in Christ alone. And so what I want to see from this is that those who share the gospel are providing the prerequisites for salvation. That's the first thing that we understand in recognizing that God's Word brings saving faith. In verses 13 through 15, we really saw the path of, of what brings that saving faith. And, and we saw it in reverse order. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Well, how will they call in him of whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they be sent? And the emphasis here in this statement is in in verse 17 is the culmination that faith comes by hearing the word of God. But how's that going to happen unless these pieces are in place? That someone needs to tell them to to preach. And we really see several things in this. And I I want us to just, again, keep these in mind. The, The first is they have to believe into. The idea here, as we've seen this, is the believing into is the attachment to. It's not merely knowing the facts mentally. Well, I know Jesus came. I know he died. I, I know the facts. It's trusting, the believe into. You, you cannot call in saving faith without believing. Calling without believing is really what we would refer to as a false profession. So you can't force somebody into a decision. We, we, we don't make it simply to please somebody else. It's believing into. This belief is not merely knowing facts, it's trusting the person of Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, there's a difference between saying, I believe you, and saying, I trust you. Trust is a volitional, emotional aspect. So we believe into it's hearing him, that that hearing Christ, the, the message is heard through the word of Christ. That is, it is Christ himself who is speaking when the gospel is proclaimed. Now, now I realize with the the context here in in verse 17, depending on how you take the the Greek text, if it's an objective genitive, it would be the word about Christ. I think it's it's really the word of Christ, but either way, however you take it, it, what we see is the content of preaching is from God. It's not of human invention. It's the gospel of God. And this is the pattern through Scripture. So in Acts chapter 17, as Paul goes from from Philippi to Thessalonica, and when he's in Thessalonica, according to 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectually works in you who believe. And so Paul gives the gospel in Thessalonica. The Jews rebel against that. He has to go to Berea. And when he gets to Berea, the Jews in Berea are are much more open. They are listening. They're examining what Paul is saying. They look at it in light of Scripture. And it says in Acts 17, 13, the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea. It's God's word. So the cognitive communication is necessary. And I'm laying this out because we have to understand God has to reveal himself to us. There has to be the word going forth. You know, you, you, may, you may have a, a, a dog and have a wonderful relationship with your dog. And, and you could say, you know, we don't really need words. We've got a good relationship. You know, you talk to him, he wags his tail. You call, he comes. Uh, when, when you're sad, he seems sympathetic. He looks at you with those big eyes. He's loyal. And you may say, you know, he really understands me. And you figure that words aren't necessary in that relationship. But if you were to go home from church today and you walk in the door and the dog looks up at you and says, so how was church? I guarantee your relationship will change at that moment. (laughs) When words are involved, it changes a relationship. God's word changes the relationship. 
So we have to share the truth. Preach the word. And, and share it with others. We have that opportunity. And, and in order for that to happen, we have to be sent. And, and Jesus said, and we saw this, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go into all the world. So there are no closed countries for the gospel. Some are just more difficult to get into. And that's why we pray for our missionaries and those going there. That's why Tri-City Baptist Church is a sending church as we send out missionaries. And while faith is our response to the gospel, it's also the message of the gospel that awakens that faith within us. So we have to send and share that people would believe. And that's what we seek to do. The second thing that I want us to see in this first point is that those who share the gospel are attractive in God's sight. It, it said in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, we, we at times in our culture will hear about the beautiful people. Well, what do they mean when people talk about the beautiful people? They're not talking about their feet. And really understand in this context, the feet are representing the person. That it's not simply their feet, it's, it's the person who is doing this. We, you know, you may have heard it prayed at times, sometimes the prayer is, you know, bless this food to our bodies and bless the hands that have prepared it. Well, why just bless the hands? Why not the whole person? Well, because the hands are representative of that person. It's a representation of the work that went into the preparation. And, and that's really what we're seeing here. The feet represent the person who goes, the sent one. And in God's eyes, that is true beauty. So what is it that makes their feet pretty? Well, it's not their pedicure, it's their proclamation. It's the message that as Christians, we are to be ambassadors. And it's really the message that is appealing. It's the message that is attractive. What is that message? It's the gospel of peace. That God and sinners can be reconciled. That's one of the songs we sing at the Christmas season. That is good news because without that reconciliation, without the gospel, sinners and God are enemies. Whoever will be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God, James 4.4. And so when sinners refuse to be governed by God to do it themselves, they're setting themselves up at, at enmity with God. And so that's why verse 16 says they've not all obeyed the gospel. There's not a heart of surrender. And recognizing the importance of the, the attractiveness of the word as we take that forth. But we also see that those who share the gospel should be saturated with God's word. And we really see that in the general context of this passage. That, that there are a number of quotes that Paul is going to use. He's, he's writing under divine inspiration. I mean, this is the Word of God, but the human instrument is Paul. And part of inspiration was the preparation of those human instruments. If you were in our summer growth series class when we talked about how we got our Bible, we talked about the, the preparation of the individuals. So this is why Peter's epistles sound different than Paul's. It's God's word, but different human instruments. Well, part of the preparation was Paul knew the word of God. And understand, we see that. In fact, from verse 15 through the end of the chapter, there are six Old Testament quotations 
that Paul is using in his discussion. And I've put them on the screen. You can see these. That in verse 15, he's quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 7. Verse 16, Isaiah 53, 1. Verse 18, Psalm 19, 4. Deuteronomy 32, 21 is in verse 19. Verse 20 and 21 are Isaiah 65, 1, and then verse 2. And it's interesting because Paul mentions a couple of these that Isaiah said. He mentions Moses said, but he doesn't mention the book. Well, what do we see from that? Paul knew the Bible. Paul had been diligent to learn Scripture. So, what about us? Are we diligent to know God's Word? I mean, how important is God's Word in your life today? You know, it's not just necessary for personal growth. It's it's not just for our comfort and, and guidance. It's not just holding on to promises. All of that is good, but we need to know the Word so we can tell others. How beautiful are the feet of those who share the gospel. And in, in, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, there's actually a rebuke there to people who should have been teachers of others, but they needed somebody to still teach them. They needed Bible basics. You know, they, were, they were doing remedial Bible. And, and if, if you've not grown up with the Bible and you're a new Christian, that's where you start. But we ought to be students of the Word. And it says in in Hebrews 5.12, they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And it was because they hadn't exercised to discern good and evil. So are are you a person that can guide others into spiritual truth? Dads, can you guide your family spiritually? You know, I I, I encourage, I've said many times, don't take spiritual advice from unspiritual people. They need to know God's Word. They have opinions, but is it based in God's Word? Say, well, you have to understand, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Okay, so what are you doing to be a student of God's Word today? You know, we have amazing opportunities here at Tri-City. We have the morning service. Then we have an adult Bible fellowship where we try to take that and personalize it and make it practical. We have care groups during the week so we can study the Bible again. We have other Bible study groups. We have classes that are offered. There There are so many things available. What are you doing to know God's Word? I mean, when we look at this list and see the various aspects, Paul was familiar with God's Word. We are a blessed people today. We have God's Word in our language, we have it in our hands, we have it in our pockets. We can listen to it, we can read it. Familiarity with God's Word is important to be a witness. Our our, our children memorize 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, because we correctly handle the Word of truth. That ought to be the goal of every one of us. And whatever our excuses, do we really think they're going to stand before the Lord when we are such a blessed people today? We need to strive to know the good news so we can share that gospel of peace. You know, it's interesting in, in, in Acts chapter 8, toward the end of that chapter, the first part of it is talking about the, the death of Stephen and how, how Paul was, Saul was partner to that. But toward the end of chapter 8, Philip is directed by God to go to the desert of Gaza, a place that's in the news a lot right now. And there he encounters a man from Ethiopia. This man had great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. He was really the, the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia. 
and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and, and now he's headed back, and, and there's still this emptiness in his life, and so he's riding in his chariot, and he's reading the Bible, and he's in the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go to him. We talked last week of the spirit-motivated evangelism. That is definitely the case there. And so Philip runs up to the chariot and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I understand it unless somebody guides me? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so Philip gets up into the chariot The man is reading, the Ethiopian is reading at Isaiah 53, a key messianic psalm, and Philip begins at the very verse where he is. It says in in, in Acts 8.35, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Folks, that's evangelism. Opening God's word and preaching Jesus. And, and understanding that, that this, is, this is where we have to know God's Word, to remember the context of this passage, that Paul is concerned about his Jewish countrymen. But we need to be able to share God's Word, to define the terms, to, to point them to Jesus. So with that background, Paul's going to say, okay, now there's some excuses that may be raised. That Israel, okay, they're zealous, but not according to knowledge. They, there's, there's a zeal, and, and they're trying to establish their own righteousness, but they're ignorant about Christ's righteousness. And so God's actually raising arguments at the end of this passage that he's going to answer. And, and the first one is, well, well, maybe God's word wasn't available. And what we see is God's word is available. That's verse 18. Well, okay, so if faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God, maybe they didn't have the opportunity. Have they not heard? And the answer is yes, they had adequate opportunity. Now, in the Greek text, the answer is assumed in the way the question is, is given. It'd be like us saying, they did hear, didn't they? You know what the answer is going to be. You know, have they not heard? Yes, they've heard. Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. And here, Paul is quoting from from Psalm 19. And it's actually an interesting psalm because it, it, it begins with the general revelation and then it moves to specific revelation. Somebody has said it's the, the psalm about the sky and the scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God. And and in verse 4, it says their their sound has gone out through all of the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Well, in that context, it's actually speaking of general revelation. That God's glory, His greatness, His power, His beauty, His complexity, His diversity, His unity is all displayed in nature. His eternal power and divine nature are revealed so all humans are without excuse. That's back in Romans chapter 1. And and we understand cultures across the centuries and around the world have have a higher power. They recognize there is a God. And so they worship. And and those that deny the existence of any God, they they bow at the altar of humanity, of humanism, and, and they trust their own beliefs, their faith system. Sometimes they call it science, but it's still a faith system. 
You know, they, they say, well, this is how the world began. Well, was it observed? Then it's faith. It's not science. And they, they can't answer key questions like, how do we get from nothing to something? How do you get from non-life to life? How do you get from simple life forms to complex life forms? And just throwing billions of years into the pot and stirring it with the spoon of time and chance and calling it science doesn't make it so. It's a faith system baked in the oven of human audacity and arrogance. Because the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. See, sinful humans don't respond in faith. They're disobedient. And it's interesting because this passage in, in, in Psalm 19.4 is about the firmament. It's the voice circling, the words going out. But Paul is taking that and under... Holy Spirit inspiration seems to be applying that to the message of Christ. That they've had a chance to hear. The Jews have had adequate opportunity to hear the message, both in general revelation and in special revelation. And it's interesting because when you read about the gospel going forth after the resurrection, and when Jesus tells his disciples, stay here in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will come upon you not many days from now, He's a, he ascends into heaven, and then 10 days later we have Pentecost in the birthday of the church. And, and you've got at Pentecost Jews gathered from all across the Roman Empire, and they're there for the Feast of Pentecost. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And they were amazed that these Galilean apostles were speaking in their languages. And the Greek word is the word dialect. So where had these people come from? They had come from all over the, the Roman Empire. In fact, let me just show you where they were. In verses 9 through 11... It gives specific places, and I think that these have come from. The, the red box is where Jerusalem is. And all of those circles are places that are named in Acts chapter 2, 9 through 11. 16 different places named where there were representatives of the that heard the gospel. The word has gone out. Across the known empire, or the, the Roman empire, the... the the inhabited world at that time. The problem was not the availability of the word, it was they would not avail themselves of the word. And so on many occasions, Jesus challenged his audience, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So the argument, well, maybe they didn't heard, doesn't stand up. If they didn't hear, it was their fault. Folks, we, we have the availability of the Word today as well. As I've already mentioned, we have God's Word in our hands, in our, our language. We have the opportunity. We are a blessed people. You know, and, and now we have the Internet. And our, our sermons are posted on sermonaudio.com. And, and so far this year, we've, we've had almost 18,800 sermons from, our, our, from Tri-City listened to in all 50 states and 75 countries. There have been over a hundred plays in countries like China, South Sudan. We've reached places that I had to look up. Lesotho, Mauritius, I mean places like that, Burkina Faso, 
Like, okay, I, I've heard of some of these, some of them I haven't. Like, where are, well, they've heard the word from Tri-City. And there are a lot of other places that have sermons there that, that we've been heard in Myanmar and Sri Lanka and Malawi and Latvia and even Israel. Paul's burden for his people is that they would be saved. And so I think we could say that the gospel is available today to the ends of the world. And so we're seeking to send people out. So rather than wonder if the Jews or others today have access to the gospel, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I avail myself to the Word of God? Do I read it? Do I study it? Do I love it? Do I apply it? You know, we seek to instruct children and adults in multiple ways, as I've mentioned, our various ways of doing this. And, and we think, well, it's good for our kids to learn the Bible. It's good for them, but is it good for us? You know, we, we have many opportunities. I invite you to come this evening as Pastor Nathan is finishing his, his brief study in the life of Christ. But don't let the rebuke of Hebrews 5 be applied to us that, that we really aren't ready for strong food because we haven't tried. That excuse won't fly. No excuses. Because when we stand before the Lord and it's a revealed that we are a blessed people, do we really prioritize God's Word, the hearing and learning and meditating upon in our lives? You know, we, we want that opportunity. We have great gospel opportunity, but we also have great responsibility. Say, so, okay, I get it. Israel did have God's Word available, but maybe they didn't understand it. And that's the next excuse that's raised and, and shot down. God's Word is understandable, and that's verses 19 and 20. Say, well, maybe they didn't know, but now we're seeing that disproved. And so in the third point is God's word is understandable. And they did have that opportunity. Well, did they not know? Moses said, I will provoke you. Provoke you to jealousy. And, and here in verse 19, Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 32. And the context is how, De how, how Israel had provoked God. That in spite of all his provision, he brings them into the land, and as they're coming into the land, they forsake him and they worship other gods. And so in verse 20 he, of Deuteronomy 32, he says, they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. And so God said, I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to offer the gospel to the foolish nations. And by offering grace to others, he was seeking to bring them back. That if others are offered this, then how important it is that they receive it. Understand, God is fair and equitable. Psalm 18 verse 25 says, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. You know, God treats people like they treat others. Does that encourage us? I mean, we, we pray, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I mean, do we forgive those who sin against us? Or do we hold on to it? Do you want to be forgiven like you forgive? This is how God is treating them. The emphasis in the Old Testament passage that's quoted in 19 is really on the word foolish. 
I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And the point is that even nations that didn't have the advantage of having the, the prophets and the scriptures, the law and the prophets, understood God's grace. That it was given to them. And so even with Israel's disobedience, God was still gracious to them. He's not pulling back his offer to Israel. He's still offering it to Israel. He's just offering it to others. And that was God's plan. That if Israel would follow him and other nations would see the blessing, they too would turn to God. God's intent was that through Israel, others would trust him. But unfortunately, Israel turned away from him. So these Gentiles who were considered foolish because of their lack of theological truth were able to find the truth. And yet Israel failed to respond. So they're without excuse. In fact, in, in chapter 11 of Romans, if you're just over a page or, or across the page, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, I say then they have stumbled that, that they should fall, certainly not. But through their fall, through their trespass to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is, in their fall is the riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? If Israel's failure brought this kind of blessing, how much more blessing would there be if they would obey? Well, but maybe they didn't understand God's purpose. No, that wasn't the problem. Years ago, I had the, the privilege of teaching a group of Chinese pastors. And, and I spent a week teaching them through a, trans, a couple of translators. And so I had different translators, and I would, I would taught through the week, and then I had to give a final exam. And that's always a challenge because you're going from one language to another. And so, and I had this, this one young lady that was a tremendous translator. And she just, she did a great job just on top of what I was saying and very quick. And, and, and so I'm, I'm giving this final exam. They take the exam. And then as, as most college students do, if they get it wrong, what do they ask? Well, will you accept this as an answer? And so I'd start getting these questions, and my, my translator would tell me what they were asking, and I would turn to her, and i said, well, maybe I wasn't clear. I said, was, my, my, was it clear when I taught it? Because, you know, I, I want to give them, a, you know, I want to show grace. And she's like, no, it was clear. They're just wrong. <laughs> and, and so I'd get another question. Well, maybe that wasn't clear. No, it was clear. They're just wrong. And finally, it reached a point where she quit translating for me. They would, answer, they would ask the question and she would answer it. She wouldn't even give it to me. I said, I think I know what she's telling them. <laughs> You're just wrong. Now, sometimes you wonder with a language barrier going from one to another, maybe it wasn't clear. No, it was clear for Israel. They're just wrong. The Gentiles who were foolish, who were senseless, who lacked the theological background, they got it. So Israel has no excuse. And I want us to see then, not only was their problem not a language barrier, it was an inability, unwillingness to listen, therefore they did not understand. But we need to see finally, the fourth thing is that God's word demands obedience. And that's verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God's arms are stretched out. It's a picture, it's a symbol of his compassion. He's pleading with Israel and they are constantly and consistently rejecting. In fact, Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 13, in verse 34, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, Lord, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you together, the outstretched arms. You know, this is an amazing picture of God's patience and love. I mean, he says, all day long I've stretched out my arms. I mean, have you tried to, ever tried to hold your arms up for a while? I mean, it doesn't take very long. We, our, our kids called on Thanksgiving and we were, we were FaceTiming and I'm holding my phone and we're talking. You know, after, after a little while, my arms started getting tired. And, and I'm propping it up, but we're, we're having a great time talking with, you know, with our kids, with our granddaughter. We're, we're, we're enjoying it. And I thought, you know, it's not very long and my arm gets tired. All day, God's hold out his arms. And not just in a day for that generation. It speaks of his, his love, his untiring commitment that God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. God is a joyful God. Back in September for our prayer meeting time, I mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, it, it speaks of according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The word blessed there is what we find in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those, the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. The idea is joyful. And I think it's an interesting statement, the glorious gospel of the joyful God. God invites us to spend eternity in His presence, and in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1911. You know, to understand that God is a happy, joyful God. I mean, would you really want to spend eternity with an angry Heavenly Father? I mean, some of you grew up in homes like that. Do you want to spend forever like that? No, God is a joyful God. It's the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in His presence, the glory with exceeding joy that Jude talks about in verse 24. That's the gospel of peace that we seek to share. God and sinners reconciled. And the delight, because there's joy in the presence of angels when sinners repent. But you know, it takes personal surrender. God's word reveals His work. It generates saving faith, but it also demands a response of obedience. It's profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. For reproof, that tells us what's wrong. For correction, how do I get it right? And instruction in righteousness, how do I keep it right? See, God's Word not only gives life, it guides us to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ. That when we look into the mirror of God's Word, the Holy Spirit develops Christ-likeness in us and we're conformed to the image of Christ. And notice that trusting Christ is not merely a matter of believing. It's a, it, information. It's a matter of obeying. So in, in Acts 17, verse 30, it says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's a step of obedience. Repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1, 15. To not believe on Christ is to disobey God. So are you growing in Christ-likeness? See, the problem here was Israel was obstinate. 
A disobedient and the word contrary. The idea there is, is they're talking back. It's like when you have a child and you're trying to tell them and, and they're talking back. It's a child arguing with his parents. Israel was contrary toward God. They argued with God. In the book of Malachi, you've got multiple examples of this. God said, I've loved you. And Israel said, Where, how have you loved us? They were a contrary people. And if a foolish Gentile nation without the law, without the religious instruction could find God, then Israel cannot claim that they didn't understand. If the heathen could get it, then they have no excuse. They violated their God-given conscience. They rejected the law. that They were guilty. And Israel's rejection was not due to the fact they didn't hear or that they couldn't understand, it was they didn't want it. It was a stubborn obstinance. And God standing there with his arms outstretched and they're arguing with him. Now, if they were culpable for what they had been given, do we have excuses? Have you responded in obedient faith to the good news of Jesus Christ? We've heard the gospel. We have God's Word. Have you ever called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? You know, one of the dangers with a ministry like ours, we have, it's a wonderful ministry, great blessing, but you know, you can go from, from preschool all the way through college and seminary and be surrounded by Christians, but that doesn't mean that you know Christ. You know, you might just be more comfortable with Christian people. You know, you like being around Christian kids, you, you like the, the mom's group. You like the revive group. You, you like your ABF. Do you love Jesus? You know, you may have grown up in church, but have you really heard and responded in surrender? See, the nature of God is to show the tenderness of that call, that concern. The Lord is, is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. God's holding out His arms to you today. Have you responded in obedient faith? If not, today is the day. This is the opportunity. Don't be contrary to the Word of God. And then the question is, if you have, are you intentionally seeking to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you seeking to share what you've learned? You know, could you do that in a brief time? Are you intentionally trying to share? So, to go back to the opening question, could you give the gospel in a minute? To say that God is holy, He created all things for His glory, and, and as the Creator, He deserves glory, and He created us for a relationship with Him, but humans sinned. We're all sinners by birth and by choice, and because of sin, we fall short of the glory of God, and we deserve the wages of sin, which is death. We've earned it. But God, in His love for us, sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to redeem us, to buy us back from the power and penalty of sin. Be, he became man, came into the world, lived a sinless life, and died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day, conquering sin and death. And He promised that if any person would turn from their sins, calling on the name of the Lord, by confessing Jesus as their Lord and believing in their heart that God had raised Him from the dead, truly trusting that risen Christ, 
they could be saved. That's the gospel. Salvation is by grace alone, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That was Paul's burden in this passage. Have you called? Are you telling others? You have a gospel opportunity and responsibility. Both to call and then to share. So are we obedient today? Let's pray.